There we go. Is that on? Yeah. Fantastic. So I'm going to pray and then we'll get straight into the word. Father, I thank you that we can gather together to worship you, but also to look at your word. This morning as we do that, I ask Holy Spirit that you would speak to us, that um, you would reveal truth to us, and that our lives would be changed because of that. Come and have your way, King Jesus. Amen. So next Sunday is Easter Sunday, like we all know, where we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, Good Friday is the day we celebrate the crucifixion of Jesus. And then today in the traditional church calendar is what they call Palm Sunday, which um, is when it's it's the day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem where they waved the palm branches and declared him as uh, the king who is coming. And uh, we don't normally make a huge thing of, the, of Palm Sunday, and I'm not going to, but it is the start of what is known as Holy Week because it's the, Jesus enters Jerusalem and the end, uh, on, on the, uh, the end of the week is when he is crucified. And if you look in the Gospel of Luke from chapter 19, you can see how that uh, is laid out. This morning, though, what I want to focus on is actually the significance of events in this week, purely because we have Sunday today and then we have Good Friday, which is in the town square, and then next Sunday when we celebrate the resurrection, and you kind of need to fill in this gap between, so we're doing that today. But I thought the, the, the simplest way, and probably one of the most, uh, the best ways to give you an overview of the week is, um, is I've got a video clip from a, uh, a resource online called The Bible Project, we're going to play it in a minute, uh, which just goes through this section of the book of Luke to give you an overview, and then I will speak. So, uh, Ruth, are you ready? There we go. So we're walking through the Gospel of Luke, and we've reached the end of Jesus' long road trip to Jerusalem. He's arrived. So he rides a donkey down the Mount of Olives towards the city, and all these crowds are forming, and people are singing, Praise the King who comes in the name of the Lord. They're laying down their cloaks in front of him. Why all this royal treatment? Okay, so Israel's ancient prophets promised that one day God himself would arrive and rescue his people and rule the world. Other times, the prophet spoke about a coming king who would ride into Jerusalem to bring justice and peace. So Jesus is activating all these hopes that he's that king, and everyone's ecstatic. Well, not everybody. The religious leaders, they think Jesus is a threat to their power, and so they're not happy. But even more striking, Jesus himself is distraught. He's actually weeping as he rides. Yeah, why? Well, Jesus can see what is coming. He knows that he won't be accepted as Israel's king. And he knows that Israel will keep going down a destructive path, neglecting the poor, stirring up rebellion against their Roman oppressors. And he knows that it will lead to death. It breaks his heart. And it riles him up. The first thing he does in Jerusalem is march into the temple courts and he drives out the money changers, disrupting the entire sacrificial system. Yeah, he's staging a prophetic protest and he stands in the center of the courtyard shouting out words from Israel's ancient prophets. This is supposed to be a place of worship, but you've made it a den of rebels. A den of rebels? 
Yeah, he's quoting from the prophet Jeremiah, who stood in this same spot, the center of Israel's religious and political power. And he offered the same critique of Israel's leaders, that they're rebellious and corrupt. And they get the message and start to plan to have him killed. Which is no surprise to Jesus. In fact, he planned that all of this would happen during Passover. This is the Holy Week when Jewish people celebrate their ancient story of how God liberated them from slavery and invited them into a covenant relationship. And so Jesus uses the symbols of Passover to reveal the meaning of his coming death. The broken bread was his broken body, and the wine was his blood that would establish a new covenant relationship between God and Israel. Jesus was going to die for his people and open up a new way forward. After the meal, Jesus takes his disciples to a garden to pray. And he struggles with the very human desire to save his life instead of sacrificing it. But he overcomes this temptation. And it's here where the religious leaders with the temple guards find him and arrest him. Now, Jerusalem was being ruled by the Roman Empire. And so the temple leaders couldn't execute Jesus without permission from their Roman governor, a man named Pontius Pilate. And so they make up this charge that Jesus is a rebel king stirring up revolution against the Roman emperor. Pilate asks Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answers, you say so. So Pilate can see that Jesus is an innocent man and he doesn't deserve death. But the leaders keep insisting that he is dangerous. So they negotiate a compromise. Pilate will release an actual rebel against Rome, a man named Barabbas, instead of Jesus. And so the innocent is handed over in the place of the guilty. Jesus is taken away with two other accused criminals and nailed to a Roman execution device. And people are mocking him. Hey, if you're the Messianic king, save yourself and us. But Jesus loved his enemies to the very end, offering hope to one of the criminals dying beside him. And he even prayed for his executors. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And then the sky darkened as an innocent man died the death of a rebel. And then Jesus cried out with ancient words from Israel's Psalms, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then Jesus died, innocent and alone. So that was a good way to explain it as an overview of what happened in that week. On again. So I want to look this morning at some of the significance of that week. You would have heard it there, but I want to pull some of the things out. Um, And the first is that you have these two groups that when Jesus rode in, and the people declared him to be the king that was coming, I don't believe they actually knew the significance of what they were saying. That actually this person riding into Jerusalem was the savior of the world by God's plan and God's design. And he was going to save them from their sin. And not what they were thinking, which is liberate them physically. But there were these two groups, the Pharisees and Jesus. The Pharisees, as you saw, did not like him, thought he was blasphemous and wanted to kill him. And Jesus' heart breaks because he knows that he is going to be rejected as king. But also he knows the future of what the nation is going to do. But he also had the hope and knowing that God was going to move through him. And it says that he wept over the city. And an important thing about that is that God's heart is still the same for all humanity. His heart breaks and weeps 
for those who haven't received salvation through Jesus, who don't know him, and yet he's made a way. And so for us, as we look through this, and as we look through the, the, this journey through this week, I'd encourage you in your devotionals this week to spend time considering actually what we celebrate over Easter and the significance of these different parts. Parts. And it says that once he had turned over the money tables and everything else, it, it spoke about, and the Bible teaches us, that Jesus wanted to celebrate the Passover with his disciples. And so they made preparation, and he celebrated the Passover. And this is incredibly significant. If you don't know the account, the Passover, the first Passover, was before the nation of Israel was uh, set free from the nation of Egypt and there were slaves in captivity. You remember after all the plagues and everything else, God says to them, go and sacrifice a lamb and paint the doorposts of your houses with the blood. And, and everybody who is from, of the nation of Israel is to go into the house behind the blood-covered door frames. And when the angel of death passes or when God comes past, he will pass over those who are protected by the blood. In other words, that, those who are inside those homes. And through Moses, he says to the nation, anybody who is outside the house, they will face the justice and the wrath that is coming. And so we know that, that all the, the Egyptian firstborn were killed and, and, and the nation of Israel were safe behind the blood. And the significance is, is that they then were to celebrate the Passover every year, remembering God's faithfulness. Just as we've been looking, saying, look back and remember the faithfulness of God, this Passover festival or feast was there so that they could remember the faithfulness of God. And the significance is, is that Jesus' crucifixion was going to be at this time in the calendar, and it was important for him to celebrate the Passover with his disciples. And what he did during the Passover meal was he, he brought a depth of significance to the elements of bread and wine. In that he was saying that they celebrating Passover, and actually I don't believe that at that moment they fully understood exactly what he was saying. But as he takes the bread and says, this bread is my body that is going to be broken for you. This wine is my blood that is going to be shed for you. So that just as in the original Passover there was blood that protected them, so too my death on the cross and my blood that is shed is going to protect those who come to me and are in me. What he's saying is, I've come and I am the Passover lamb. That is going to be sacrificed for your salvation. He's saying, so he's saying that this bread doesn't physically become his body, but it's symbolic, spiritually symbolic of his body that was going to be broken on the cross and his blood that was going to be shed. So that everybody who actually responds in faith to him, and we know in scripture that it says that we are in Christ Jesus. What that's speaking about is that we are in him. We are behind the blood of the Passover lamb who is Jesus. And therefore we don't face the justice of God that we deserve because of that. And so the bread that is broken and the blood that is shed, or the, the, the body and the blood, 
are symbolized through the bread and the wine. And he commands them to, to do this in remembrance of him. So until that point, they had celebrated the Passover in remembrance of God's faithfulness. Now he adds the significance of the bread and the wine to him. And he says, from now on, do it in remembrance of me. Because you must remember, everything that the Old Testament, there's a lot of symbolism and everything else in the Old Testament that points to Jesus. And it's fulfilled in Jesus. So just as the nation of Israel coming out of Egypt into the promised land through the Red Sea, through the blood of the Passover, is all symbolic of us coming from a place of slavery uh, uh, to sin, through the blood of Jesus, through the waters of baptism, into the promised land, which is eternity with him. That's a symbol or picture of salvation. And here we see that Passover lamb is fulfilled in Jesus. And he says, from now on, do this in remembrance of me. The fact that actually my body is broken, my blood is shed, so that you can come to salvation and be covered in his righteousness. That's because we created to live in that relationship with him. Just at the beginning, the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve created to live in relationship with God. And then through sin, that was broken. And that relationship was ripped apart. The consequences of that was death. Spiritual death, physical death, eternity separated from God in the torment of hell. And the only way that we could get back and restored is if blood was shed by someone who was not sinful, inherently sinned. So when, after Adam and Eve sinned, every single human born is inherently sinful. I know that's hard sometimes to, to think. We don't like to think of that because we think we like to think of people as good. But spiritually they're inherently sinful and therefore they also sin. And so the only way that the price can be paid to satisfy the justice of God, which is the need for blood to be shed to pay for the sin, is someone who is not inherently sinful, Jesus, who is God, but also someone who did not sin, Jesus, who lived perfectly as a man. And so that's the whole reason for Jesus coming to earth was to fulfill that role as the Passover lamb, one who is fully God and fully man, but paid the price because he was without sin and did not sin. And so that's the significance of what he's saying is that he is the one who is the Passover lamb. We can't get to that place of salvation through good works. We can't get through, to, through some kind of, I don't know, spiritual quest that we go on. We can't get to it by following rules or coming to church. We get to it by believing in Jesus. Salvation is a gift that is received from him by faith, within, by grace through faith. That Jesus, who is fully God and fully man, without sin, paid the price for our salvation. At the Passover meal, or the Last Supper, which some people will call it as, Jesus was showing them this is what's going to happen, and this is what it means. It fulfills the Passover. This is the significance of what it is, and that he was the Passover lamb. I don't think they quite fully understood that in the moment. 
Then we see that he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane in the Mount of Olives and he, uh, and, and he, and he prays. And there's this anguish, as they eloquently put there, this anguish in his praying. And one of the Gospels says that there was so much anguish in his praying that his, uh, he, his sweat was dripping like blood. That's because he was wrestling, I, I believe, because he knew what was coming. There was surrendering of his will to the Father's, not my will, but yours be done. But there's also that his heart for the people. And you'll see that on our Easter things, but is the scripture in, in, in John that says that for God so loved us that he sent his son. So God loves us so much that he sent his son to die for us. And Jesus, his son, loves us so much that he was willing to lay aside everything, all the majesty of heaven, and come and live as a man. We're feeling as we feel. So uh, Katie came and she said she had this uh, remind, during, during worship, a reminder of the fact that uh, of uh, the fact that Jesus, although he was God, was a human, fully. And we can sometimes separate what we understand and see. I think it's probably part of our coping mechanism that as a human, Jesus had nerve endings and felt every bit of pain. Because he was God doesn't mean that the pain of the crucifixion was reduced. I think it was increased because he could feel the physical pain, but he could also feel the spiritual pain. But there's that sense that that's how much Jesus loves us. That's how much Jesus loves every single person in the world. And he made the way to come to him, to God. The only way. You see, in some respects, well, in one respect, salvation is very exclusive. What I mean by that is this. There is only one way in which people can be saved. It's not different gods. and There's only one way, and that is through the blood of Jesus. So it's very exclusive. But on the other hand, it's very inclusive because that salvation message is for everybody. Not a single person is beyond the reach of God's salvation. Not a single person is like, well, these people, but not those ones. In that way, it's inclusive. And that salvation is for everybody. The challenge is that not everybody responds. And so what God does when people don't respond, he honors their decision to reject the gift of salvation and to face his justice in their own strength, which is a terrifying place to be. But the significance of the Passover is that he is the Passover lamb. And what we see goes on is that he's arrested. He's brought before Herod and Pontius Pilate, or Pontius Pilate and then Herod and then Pontius Pilate again, who found no grounds for his crucifixion or anything wrong. In his questioning, as it said there, just quoting scripture, when Pilate said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus' response was, you have said so. In other words, he was declaring that is who he is. If they were listening. And of course that riles the, the, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And then Pilate wants to release them. And they said no release for us Barabbas. Now again there's huge significance in that. 
We just think, well, okay, Jesus was arrested. There were, the custom was to release someone, so they re- released Barabbas. But let's just think of the spiritual significance right there again. What was Barabbas? He was a criminal. You know that the cross isn't unique to Jesus. It was, a, it was, a, it was the worst form of Roman torture, but it was quite commonplace. And someone like Barabbas was deserving of the cross. The same is true for you and I, spiritually. And so the, significant, the incredible significance that sometimes we miss just because we read it as a story is that here's Barabbas, one who is guilty, one who is deserving of punishment, is released set free and one who is innocent dies instead of him. For you and I, we the Barabbas. Because we're the ones deserving of death. We're the ones deserving of that because of our sin. Yet the parallel, even there in that moment of, because it could have just been that Jesus was crucified, But God again reveals the incredible nature of his love, his grace, and his mercy in that moment where someone who is guilty is replaced by someone who is innocent. And that again is what Jesus does. You and I are guilty, deserving of death. We deserve in ourselves to stand and face the justice of God in its entirety. But when we receive Jesus, he says, I'll do that instead of you. The guilty switched over over for the innocent. And Jesus takes on himself our sin, our guilt, and dies for us. You see how if we just reread and consider again the events of this week, there's a richness that comes that time and time again, God shows us exactly who Jesus is, why Jesus came, what Jesus was doing. From the riding in on the donkey, on the colt, them calling out the king of the, king of the Jews, the, the Passover, the praying for our salvation, the fact that Barabbas is released, the guilty for the innocent, is all pointing to the incredible power and the significance of Jesus dying on the cross, on our behalf, so that we could go free. The only way for us to come to that place of relationship with him, with God, is through Jesus. The one who willingly, not forced, not coerced, but willingly, because of his love and passion for us, that everyone would be saved, took our place on the cross instead of him, instead of us. Jesus is handed over and is crucified. And that crucifixion is gruesome. I don't think any of us could quite grasp what it is that happened. But it was a place of public shame. It says that Jesus scorned the shame of the cross. 
But he was crucified on a cross, publicly shamed. On our behalf, so that when we stand before God, as children of God, we're not going to be publicly shamed for all the sin that we've done because it's covered in Jesus. And he says that we, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness so that when we sin, we go back to him and he brings fullness of life and forgiveness. So actually as believers, because of Jesus and the shame of the cross, we don't have to live in shame because he's paid the price for us to live in relationship with the Father. It was torture. It was painful, excruciating torture. Historians say it was the worst kind of punishment you could ever endure. Well, you wouldn't endure, you'd always die. But that's his body broken for us, his blood shed for us, so that we don't have to go through that. And here's the horrifying truth. Those who don't accept Jesus as Lord and Savior will spend eternity outside the presence of God in the continual, eternal torture of hell. Jesus paid the price that we don't have to. He went through the torture of the cross so that we don't have to. And then there was the spiritual suffering. Probably the greatest of all. And when he's on the cross, Jesus points to this. Matthew chapter 27 verse 46 quotes Jesus as saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then he goes on a little bit later. John 19.30 tells us that he says, It is finished. Those that were there, again, didn't hear that. or if they, Well, they did hear it, but they didn't hear it, the significance of it. Because what he's pointing to there is the spiritual pain and suffering. Imagine that Jesus, the Son of God, part of the, the Godhead, on the cross, is that sense of the reality of God forsaking him because he's taken on the sin of of the world, all humanity. I believe that that spiritual suffering was greater than the physical. But he did that. It's the hint of what actually was happening, which was the atonement. He was the atoning sacrifice, the Passover lamb, taking our sin on him, onto himself, paying for us he was atoning for our sin that's what the last supper was pointing to the bread and the wine that was pointing to that moment of the Passover lamb that's what he was pointing to when he said my God my God why have you forsaken me and it is finished it is paid for it is done that's the significance of what it is him on the cross his, uh, his blood all over that wood is like the blood all over the doorposts in Egypt. So that those of us who are saved are covered in his blood and made righteous. 
because he's atoned for our sin. He himself was the sacrifice, having been paid once and for all. Now, if we put ourselves at the foot of the cross, not from where we stand today, but if you just imagine the foot of the cross, like those people that we read about were, you probably wouldn't have seen much physical evidence of what was going on in the spiritual unless you knew what it was and understood it. There was evidence. The temple curtain was ripped. The moment he died, the temple curtain was ripped from the top to the bottom. That was the curtain that kept everybody else away from the presence of God. And God ripped, saying, from now on, you can come into my presence when you come through the blood of my son. So that was there. There were the bodies of the saints who had died, rose from their graves and went and spoke, which is a bit freaky to think of, really. The centurion's confession. At the moment, he realized this truly was the Son of God. And then Jesus declaring it is finished. But most people, if not all, at the foot of the cross wouldn't have understood actually what was spiritually happening. And the spiritual significance was he was the sacrificed lamb. His blood was paying the price for our sin, for eternity, reconciling humanity to God our creator once and for all so that we don't have to face the justice of God. He was our substitute. His blood satisfied the full justice of God perfectly. And in doing so, he made a way that we can come to the Father. So how do we respond? How do you respond to that? I think the, the significance of the cross is only seen through the Holy Spirit enlightening us. The same way as salvation is when we believe through the work of the Holy Spirit, we believe that he is who he says he is. And we declare it. Scripture says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. That confessing isn't just talking. Like Jesus said, it is finished, wasn't just talking. It was pointing to a spiritually significant, powerful thing that had just happened. And the same way when we declare to God and to others, we believe you are who you say you are. And that you are Lord and King and submit our lives to him. It's not just us declaring words. It's a spiritual significance of us saying, we surrender to you as King and Lord. We acknowledge you are God and we receive from you that gift of salvation that comes through the blood of Jesus. Come and be Lord and King of our lives. And in conjunction with that, we repent, which is not just saying sorry, it's turning around and following after him. Saying, God, I choose to live in obedience to you as our Lord and Savior. And then we declare, we pray, and we tell him and and others about that, that the decision and the choice we've made is to make him king. And what happens spiritually is this. What was once dead is made alive. The Bible calls it being born again. Our spirit is made alive. What happens spiritually and is significant is that we are now hidden in the blood of Jesus. 
The blood of Jesus is appropriated over us. We are now covered. We are atoned for. Our sin is paid for. We are now clothed in his righteousness. So that when God looks at us, he, he sees his, the blood of his son and passes over in his just, justice and judgment. Because we now are in Jesus. And we're made a new creation. And, and just as a, as, a, as a baby grows and matures so that we ought to, to grow and mature in him through reading the word, through prayer, through worship, through community of the believers. But we have been reconciled to, Jesus, to God through Jesus by his blood. And so this morning as, uh, as we finish off, we're going to break bread together, which is communion, which signifies that which they did at the Passover. So when we do this, why well, I wanted to break bread at the end rather than during worship what we normally do is so that we could remember the significance of what it is. It's different from how they did it then in that it's not around a meal. We're here together. They had wine, we've got grape juice for very practical reasons. The bread probably isn't the same unleavened type of bread. It's close, but probably not the same. But the significance is identical. The power is identical. That as we break bread this morning, we're remembering the fact that Jesus is the Passover lamb. Innocent, taken the place of us, the guilty. That his blood has been shed, that we can come to relationship with God and live with him. Without shame. Without guilt, because Jesus has paid for it. Without having to earn anything. But freely. And on the cross he paid for our sin and he paid for our sickness. So disease and sickness is bought, the healing is paid for by his blood. And we do it to remember him. To remember what he's done, his faithfulness. To remember what he is doing and also, just as Jesus said, he will eat of it again when he comes in his kingdom. That one day he's coming again. So we're going to, I'm going to pray, then we're going to end. I've asked John to put some worship music on in the background. I'd encourage you, either in families or community or home groups, whatever way you want, come and get some juice and some bread and go back and, and pray for each other. If there's something that God has spoken to you about that you feel would encourage someone else that you're breaking bread with, share that. But Scriptures tells us to break bread in an honorable way, in an honoring way, which is remembering the significance of this incredible moment that Jesus died on the cross instead of you and I, that he atoned for our sin, that we have his righteousness. I'm going to pray. Father God, I thank you that you love us so much that your heart breaks, that Jesus, you chose to die for our salvation this morning as we come to your table Lord we pray that the truth and the reality of that would be made alive in us again 
as we come with grateful, thankful hearts, celebrating you, we would un- understand and comprehend the significance, the completeness, the power, the freedom and the joy of what this means. That Jesus, you died as the Passover lamb so that we would live. I pray that as we break bread together, Lord, Spirit of God, that you would come and move in each one of our lives for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.